So hello everyone, and thank you for joining Every Moment is a Choice. My name is Erica Behel, and this is a podcast for people who are looking to understand their own unique courage. I talk with people who have inspired me with the choices they've made, in both in their career and in their personal lives. With me today is Paul Helmore. Paul and I work together at Wood Mackenzie, and I learned a lot from Paul. I learned a lot about leadership um, in particular. And after I left the company, I wanted to discuss more with him about some of the things I learned from him and hear more about his story. So hello, Paul. Hey, Erica. Nice to see you again. Nice to see you too. Thanks for spending some time with me today. So before we get started, you've, you've held a number of leadership positions um, in the corporate world, in the military, in your career. Can you start us off with a summary of some of the leadership roles? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I, I joined the, uh, the British Royal Navy when I was 16, quite young, isn't it? Uh, and I joined because I actually wanted to be a Marine, and um, they didn't take you until you were 18. So the way in was to go to the Navy first. So I did that and, uh, and really joined at one of the lower ranks. And uh, I had a great time. I joined predominantly to see the world. And just back in those days, back in 1980, the idea that you could go to Asia or Africa or places was completely prohibitive. The only way you could do that really is if you went, if you were paid to do it by the Queen. So mm. frankly, I decided that was my best choice. And the Navy seemed to go to a lot more places than anyone else. So it was an obvious choice. So anyway, so I joined the Navy and, um, and I didn't really join with any career aspirations. I, I really did literally, quite literally join just to go and see the world. I just wanted to travel. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not fiercely patriotic. Uh, sometimes I meet people, normally Americans, who say things like, thank you for your service. And I think, well, it's nice you say that, and I appreciate you say it, but actually, yeah, I had a good time. I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, can, I should be thanking the taxpayer for carting me around the world, having fun. But anyway, so yeah, so I joined, and um, but really quickly I realised, I, I discovered that, um, what they discovered, that I had uh, leadership capabilities in terms of my ability to inspire and drive performance within the unit I was working in, within the department of the ship or where I was, I was posted. I, I volunteered for pretty much everything and anything, from mm-hmm. skydiving to Navy diver to, you know, fast boat driving to literally everything. I just thought, well, why not? I'm here, let's have some fun. So I, I did everything, and it was, and it was great. Clearly, clearly during that time, I did seven years in the Navy, and um, it was a different world then. Or perhaps we've gone back to the world it was then. In those days, the world was divided between essentially NATO in the West and uh, the Soviet bloc in the East. And it all seemed a bit obvious who the bad guys were from our perspective. Clearly, mm-hmm. from their perspective, it was the other way around. And um, it was kind of clean lines, really, in a way. And, um, you know, we, we went to sea and we would chase Russian submarines around the Atlantic or go into the Indian Ocean or out in the Pacific or whatever and just run around basically visiting places, flying the flag. But in between that, we, we did a lot of work around leadership capability and a pivotal moment in the British Navy's uh, operating model was the Falklands War. Uh, when the Falklands happened, uh, the entire fleet deployed, because uh, the British Navy is not that big, actually. The US Navy is much, much bigger. Um, so the entire fleet deployed, it became obvious really quickly. The old command control structures that people assume the military have are just not fit for purpose. 
Uh, the, a lot of people think that in the military, somebody tells you what to do, and you salute and you say yes, sir, and you keep going. The old saying, if I tell you when to jump, you ask how high, and you just stay there. That, that kind of thing doesn't actually be true. It's not like that. Uh, and we worked really hard on on program that I got involved in in terms of our officer and leadership development selection process uh, and candidate selection. I started working on skill sets around how do you inspire and how do you drive high performance in a pressured environment, stressed environment. And I was really fortunate that I got to work here at Dartmouth, which is a Navy officers college. I also did reclassify and spent time working with marine units on the ships. So I got to do some really interesting stuff. They were really at the front of this whole operational way of working now, where units of four or five people can make decisions real time on the ground. And underpinning a lot of that was a foundational element of trust. And what does trust actually look? What do you believe? There's, there's a great saying that um, US Navy SEALs use when they choose somebody to be in their unit. They say, will I trust this person with my money, my life, and my wife? And that's fundamentally <laughs> about trust, isn't it? And, um, and, and I love the expression because it really is just about, okay, so what actually really does matter to you? Maybe money doesn't matter, but hopefully the other two matter. Uh, and you choose to trust the people around you. So I, kinda, I went through that and I, and I left the, about seven years. Um, so what about, your, what about your other positions once you left the military? Yeah, so I left the military, and of course, a lot of the qualifications I had then were worth next to nothing in the real world. Um, there's not much call for people that can drive a fast boat or steer a warship or do some of the crazy things you do. So um, I, had to, I had to just relearn, and I, and I figured that actually the best thing I could do was work within high-performing teams and leverage what I believe to be my core skill set, which is effective communication and leading people to performance. And as luck would have it, there was somebody who was looking for somebody to work in sales, and they offered me my first sales job. And uh, that was 30 odd years ago, and I've never looked back. So I found myself selling in those days office equipment and different things like photocopiers and fax machines and goodness knows what else. But always working again within a team environment, team objective, a set of um, a set of targets that we have to achieve. And in an environment where you had to perform really to the best of your ability within a group structure, you were never really a sole contributor. You couldn't succeed if you did it on your own. And, and over time, I kind of thrived in that. And eventually, I found my way into the oil and gas industry. I worked for a couple of different country, companies and then found my way into the biggest oil field service company uh, and had 21 fantastic years there. Absolutely loved it. And in that company, I worked with, led, and managed sales and commercial organizations of anything from a few tens of people up to ultimately nearly 5,000 people plus very large revenue objectives and targets and mm -hmm. extraordinary levels of complexity across 140 countries and goodness knows every place you can imagine. So during that time, I, I worked, worked and lived all over Europe and North America and Works all over Africa, Asia, Middle East, uh, pretty much everywhere. And I, I absolutely loved it and worked through the organization in quite a few different roles, as I say. And, um, and what I saw was a lot of cultural differences, a lot of mm -hmm. behavioral differences and the way people perform in their roles. And, um, and I decided very early on to 
hang on to some core principles and make sure I was always rooted in those core principles of how I felt leadership should be and how I felt, and I think it's worked because I've been relatively successful, how I felt we could get the best performance out of the people we work with and therefore ultimately all be successful. Yeah, great. So, so when I worked for you, you know, you, ma- you made it known to all of us that while you were in a position with a, with a revenue target, um, you know, to manage and lots of people working for you, you actually always said, I'm going to focus on the people and the numbers will follow. And that's what you also instill in us, uh, managing teams within, within your division. I mean, that, it's a phrase that is very easy to say, but it's probably incredibly difficult to actually do. Um, can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, yeah, I'd be glad to. I think the thing that you, you have to start with a core premise. You have to agree that the revenue actually is the outcome. So a lot of organizations, especially sales organizations, commercial organizations, will focus exclusively on the number, as they call it. Get the number, everything's good, and it's true. You know, revenue fixes everything, so your job is to bring the number. But if you concentrate exclusively on a number, you're missing the point of how you get there. And there's a series of activities and milestones that you have to attain to enable you to reach the number. And if you are a people business, which majority of businesses are, then clearly the most important asset on your balance sheet, to put it crudely, are your people. And therefore, you need to ask yourself, how do I incentivize, drive, motivate, motivate, and encourage my people to perform to the best of their ability? So at the core question up front is what kind of people do I have and how do I get the best out of them and how do they realize their potential and if you get that bit right the outcome will be the outcome and the outcome bearing in mind that your business hopefully sets up realistic objectives and goals and targets and you get after it the outcome will be that you will exceed the objective that's assured so I said to think about what's the fundamental starting point and the starting point is your people if you're a people business people in terms of business so you really concentrate on understanding what motivates them are they the right people put in place the right people make transactions in terms of enabling people to move to other roles or even out of your organization should you need to because sometimes it's good for them sometimes it's just the way it is but ultimately you want your team to be succeeding and that's enabled by the people it is all about the people so very early on in the process, take time to understand who they are, what's important to them, what their values are, and then understand what it is that they want from work, what it is they want from this task, this environment. And if there's an alignment, then you can get performance, get very good performance, and have happy people that are contributing positively. So really, for me, it's always been about, first and foremost, understand your people and motivate them to do their jobs the best of I fundamentally believe this nobody gets out of bed in the morning and says i'm going to go to work today and do a terrible job no one does that but nobody yeah. does that so if you assume that everyone gets out of bed and says you know i may not be quite so happy at my job but i'm still going to give it a go or i really love my job and i go do my best you've got something to work with to work with that and give them the opportunity to to be exceptional has that always worked for you yeah pretty much yeah yeah i can say that i've managed I don't know what number it is, but it must be well over a thousand people. Um, directly, certainly a good few hundred. 
indirectly tens of thousands. And I can say that I've had that policy for 30 years. I can count on one hand, literally on one hand, the amount of times that someone's failed within that environment. Um, because really, if, if things go wrong, if you think about it, when things go wrong, often management is tempted as leader to stop blaming the person or the individual if things go wrong. But you're in charge, so it's your problem. And if it's going wrong, in my experience, it's going wrong for a few reasons. One is you've asked them to do something they don't understand how to do, but that becomes a training or a coaching issue. When you've stretched them too far, you don't understand what they're capable of, and therefore you're burning them. Maybe that person's dealing with stuff in their life or in general anyway, which is distracting them from being able to do that task where you should know. So you know not to load them with that task. Um, or maybe you just never took the time to explain clearly what it is you actually wanted. Or you didn't stay close enough during the process to help them understand what you wanted or what the outcome needed to be. So yeah, I'd say that um, overwhelmingly it's worked. Overwhelmingly. Great. So you've you've also mentioned about trusting your team before they've even proven themselves trustworthy. Yeah. And this is something that I'm really curious about because I, for me, it would be hard to relinquish control. You know, how do you trust people who you haven't even worked with before? What what enables you to do that? Um, experience in the reality that it doesn't let me down. As frightening as it is when you're a control freak, and at some level, we're all some form of control freak. Um, as frightening as that is, and you have to make the conscious decision that you will choose to trust your people. Because foundationally, that's what they want from you. They want you to trust them. They want you to empower them and give them the opportunity to prove their worth. And notwithstanding commentary we just made around how if things go wrong, there's a bunch of reasons for that. It's rarely it goes wrong because you, they didn't trust you or they didn't want to trust is because you demonstrated you didn't trust them. And then you started micromanaging. You started questioning. And not in a constructive coaching fashion, but in an accusational way. Then the relationship breaks down, then performance dies. So really, I would argue that you don't have a choice. You have to choose to trust. You don't have, You can't choose not to. Because if you choose not to, you're guaranteeing your business will underperform and your people will underperform. That's the outcome. So what choice do you have, really? You only have one choice if you want to overperform, and that is to choose to trust your people and trust that they will do the absolute best they can. Yeah. And in your relationship with trust will be formed out of your own life experience. And everyone has a different level of life experience through whatever they went through in whichever previous employment or childhood or whatever developed their relationship with trust. Of course, it will be all different to everybody. It's harder for some people than others. I totally get that. But you just have to make the conscious decision. Because you may well make the targets. You may well have, in brackets, a successful business. But if you haven't, if you've chosen not to trust your people, trust me, they're not happy. You might make the numbers, but you've got an unhappy business. Yeah. It's really good advice to leaders. I mean, I think when you, when you're first starting out in leadership, you know, you may have come up through the ranks and, and you are focused on getting the job done and trying to steer people towards getting the job done that you're being held accountable for. And your, your argument is empower 
you don't have to necessarily steer hard. You have to empower and guide. Um, are there are there any kind of you know um, people that you've admired or looked to when you think about how to guide people rather than steer them or micromanage? Yeah, I, I've had the privilege of working for some really extraordinary leaders. Some people that mm-hmm. I just, just really admire in terms of their capacity to deal with complexity and uh, really changing situations and somehow still inspire and drive performance. And then everyone will have a different relationship with different people and they'll, they'll reference people they've worked with or they know as family or friends. And that, that's, that's personal. Everyone will have their own journey there. And, and it's not like there's any one size that fits all. I will say, though, in relation to that, always make sure you're true to yourself. Don't try to be that person. Be yourself, but use the best of what you can from what you learn from that person. Uh, equally, my all-time hero is Sir Ernest Shackleton, who um, led the endurance expedition to Antarctica. And a lot of people would have heard of him by now because it's become all kind of in vogue. Um, but really, I mean, if you get a chance to read some of his history, uh, there's a great book called Shackleton's Way, which I strongly recommend, which is a leadership book, which is used in a lot of the um, Navy training colleges now. Um, and it's, that book really is about empowerment of people and faith and belief in the mission. And, uh, and he demonstrated a level of, of belief in his people, even when he left them behind in South Georgia to find help. And he was gone for a long time, really a long time. They never questioned if he'd come back. They believed in him because he believed in them. Mm. That's an incredible story of, um, of faith and belief based on trust. Uh, so he's kind of my all-time hero in that sense. And then... Um, we all meet people from time to time, and, uh, and, I, and I say, shamelessly rip off whatever good ideas they give you. Don't be shy. Because, uh, frankly, there, there's a desperate shortage of good quality leadership in the world right now. Desperate shortage of it. There's a lot of people that can work a spreadsheet. A lot of people can say the right thing and then invest a call. There's very few people that know how to lead with authentic uh, belief and also drive performance in their team because they choose them. And as leaders, you're called to do that. It's not about you anymore. The day you start leading, it's stop being about you. It's start being about your people. Yeah. Would you would you attribute most of what you've learned about leadership to your days, your earlier days in the Navy? I think the earlier the earlier years established the um the foundation. There's a kind of there's a, there's a completely ridiculous phrase I used to use years ago that I've stopped using. Where I would say, well, if things are going wrong, or things are quite tough, I say, well, it's okay, no one's shooting at us. Because it's a ridiculous statement. You know, of course, I've had someone shoot at me. So you kind of think, well, but that's not relational. How is that even, how, how is that even a helpful thing to say? It's a ridiculous thing to say. Because the most stressful thing that people are dealing with in that time is the most stressful thing. And everyone's personal experience of stress and everyone's personal relationship with trauma is related to their personal experience of stress or trauma. And what may be may seemingly, seemingly be an irrelevance to one person is a super stressful thing to that, to someone else. So there's no good making statements like that. You, the thing I learned really early on is to recognize that everybody in their own space has value and what they're going through is the most important thing they're going through. So understand their journey and work with them. I learned that really early on, fortunately. Um, and then 
But that didn't make me in any way nearly a half-finished article, and I'm still nowhere near finished article in this. But what I did decide to do was to embark on a journey of continuous learning and literally put my hand up for everything. I literally volunteered for nearly everything, and I tried almost everything. And if there was a chance to go and learn something or to meet somebody, I would do it. I didn't go to university until I was 50. I didn't get my degree until I was 53. Mm. So a lot of people say, why would you bother to go? You're only like really 10 years away from retirement. I say, well, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you go and realize the opportunity to go and enjoy learning? And I think all the way through my, um, my professional development, I concentrate a lot more on who I'm going to be working with and who can I learn from than the task in hand. And then, uh, and then when the opportunity comes to go to school or do a course or attend a seminar or just speak to some super interesting people and grab it. It's a privilege. It is an absolute privilege to be in the company of people that are smart enough to teach you things. And that's been my philosophy. So I'm often in the room and I'm thinking, this is horribly intimidating because these people are super smart. I'm in the room and they seem to be happy to talk to me about stuff. So I'll take it. I, I love that. I love that attitude. And it's so, um, I think it's so inspiring to me that your story is about not about a person who was kind of groomed for success his whole life and is now in a, is in a position of senior uh, authority and with, with a lot of responsibility on his shoulders. But you took that alternative path of you went, you joined the military very young. You went to, you know, university at 50, right? And, and that's something that I think is, is um, really inspiring to people who may have taken alternative path, pathways themselves. And maybe didn't go to the best school and the best, uh, and had a very linear career. I think it's very inspiring, actually. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Well, when you think about the traditional path to in bracket success, and what is success anyway, we could get into a whole debate on that. But you know, if you think about it, you go to a certain school, a good school, you go to a good university, you get the right kind of degree, you go to the right kind of company. There's a path. Yeah, I would argue not all. But many people that follow that path are utterly miserable because they're following a prescribed path, a prescribed path designed for them by people that have not taken into account the fact that they're an individual person. When you don't have the luxury of having a just pre-designed pathway and you've got to figure it out, then you've really got one choice to make every day. And I actually think this is the only choice you have to make every day. Everything else kind of happens to you. It's who are you going to spend your time with and how much of that time are you going to allocate to them? It's the only real decision you've got to make. Everything else you've got to kind of do because you've got to eat and live and survive and do what you do. But you, you have that choice. And I choose to spend my time with people who I believe I can add some value to or they can add some value to me and we can enjoy each other's company, and I'll give them as much time as I can possibly give, because that's valuable to me. That's my choice. I choose not to follow the path that society would ordain as the path. Yeah, yeah. Great. But is, is there anything else that you wanted to share um, with, with listeners out there? I think it's... Um, 
And it, it, was, it was interesting, I suppose one, one comment, it was interesting when you asked me to do this, Erica, because clearly we worked together for a short amount of time, but I joined this company during lockdown. And we, we've never actually met. I know, it's so weird. It's a really weird thing. <laughs> um, and, and it was really interesting because when we went through the journey of you making your decision to move on from the company, um, it was really important that in that process we maintained an honest and open dialogue and discussion about the options you had and the choices you were able to make. And what was really important to me is that you made that choice to the best of your ability, fully informed of what your options were, and then that we supported you to the best of our ability through that process. And that I call just being an adult, just being grown up about it. And if there's one request I'd make to anyone who's listening to the podcast who's a leader, the reason most leaders don't do that is because they fear that they're going to be let down or their trust is going to be betrayed. And I need to tell them it never is. It never is. Mm. The world's full of horror stories, but they're not real. There's, you know, if you have honest and meaningful conversations with people, and I have, unfortunately, over 30 odd years I've worked, certainly in the oil field, released hundreds, if not thousands, of people from employment. I've also been engaged in hiring hundreds and thousands of people. And at every stage, I've always believed that honesty and clarity is just the right thing. And people respect that. So, so many people right now are looking at their careers and thinking about moving into something different, leaving their companies, um, a lot of them voluntarily. Mm. And it seems to be rarer that a leader is okay with it and supportive and really helps to help the departing person, um, you know, in their, in their transition and especially with the team they leave behind. Um, which is also very important. So yeah, it's a. I think it's a very courageous choice actually for leaders. But from what you're saying, it seems to be just the right thing to do. Yeah, you know, there's a thing, isn't there? I always say that you, know, you never want to do something that if your mother reads it on the front page of the newspaper tomorrow, she's embarrassed of you. So you kind of want to always ask yourself, is the, am I just doing the right thing? And when it's the right thing, it's just the right thing. So just do the right thing. Yes. If you're in an environment where they don't appreciate the fact that you're doing the right thing, you're in the wrong environment. So, yeah. Or maybe you need to educate that organization or that environment to understand there's a better way of doing things. Yeah, perfect. Okay, well, we can close it off then. Yeah. And I will say um, thank you, Paul, for your time today. It's been, it's been a really fascinating story. I love the inspiration that your story brings to leaders who, number one, haven't pursued a traditional um, you know, ambitious path through life with with um, going to you know, doing all the the linear things that that they assume leaders do, um, and for also sharing your courageous choices around trusting your people um, and putting people before numbers. I think it's really inspiring. So thank you. Thanks, Erica. It's been great to see you again.